Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue. We're happy to have you back with us. A lot to get into on this episode. We're going to spend a bunch of time with our friend Tyler Calvaruso breaking down long-term focus for Penn State on the recruiting trail. A few reasons for that. Tyler Calvaruso got out to see Penn State's top-rated 2025 commit. There is a bunch brewing in that 2025 class when it comes to visits being lined up for this season, in-state movement, prospects to watch heading into their junior seasons, and then 24-7 Sports released 2026 rankings, an initial top 100 on Wednesday. That included three players in the state of Pennsylvania. All of them have Nittany Lions scholarship offers and a bunch of Penn State targets from within this region and beyond. Tyler Calvaruso is going to help us get a good lay of the land for what's coming down the recruiting trail for Penn State, and we'll take a look at some early guest list uh, potential for the Nittany Lions for week one against West Virginia, which is a matchup that's just about two weeks away, and then the whiteout matchup against number 25, Iowa, uh, set for later in September. Each of those going to be destination events for prospects, and that's good news for Penn State. Uh, I wanted to, to let our listeners know if you want to hear about preseason football camp here and what's happening in Happy Valley and how this team's developing as that kickoff gets closer – and you missed our last episode, stop what you're doing, circle back to this one at a later point. It'll be here waiting for you. But on Tuesday, myself, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon sat down. We spent about 90 minutes spending uh, really just as much as we could emptying the notebook from things we've learned through the first couple of weeks of preseason camp in terms of position battles, roster risers, young guys that have made momentum, older players that have kind of asserted themselves, maybe stabilized their position. Again, an hour and a half of content on our episode that dropped Tuesday. So we're not really going to get into the preseason camp conversation on this one, but you missed out on a ton of it uh, if you missed our Tuesday episode. So without further ado, let's get to recruiting with Tyler Calvaruso. And Unfortunately, uh, as we get into the thick of, of football season and, and preseason camp here, we hear less from you. There's a lot that I love about football season, but it means a little bit le- less focus with you on recruiting. But we'll pick our spots. We're going to spend a whole episode doing it this time. And we had you on last Thursday, Tyler. Covered a lot of ground with the 2024 recruiting class. Dished out some superlatives. Guys that we love in the class. Guys that are turning in the right direction. Great scouting jobs within this 2024 class. But that group's just about done. We have a few updates to get to. But 2025 is really in the focus as we move forward here. And let's start with the obvious. You spent a significant time on Wednesday with Penn State's top-rated member of that 2025 class. Yeah, I got the chance to check in with uh, Jalen Matthews before he begins his junior season at Toms River North down in South Jersey. And really for him, it, it kind of just comes back to what we've been saying about his recruitment pretty much since the day that he committed. You know, Penn State – he pledged to Penn State for a reason, but it's going to be a fight to the finish. You know, there's a lot of outside interest and programs trying to get Jalen Matthews off his Penn State commitment. He's going to be back in State College next month. He's definitely going to be at the whiteout game. He's looking to see if he can make it up for the season opener against West Virginia as well. So two visits in a month span, that'd be pretty big for the Penn State staff as they look to hold on to Jalen Matthews. But he's also going to be getting to Alabama and Georgia, two SEC programs who are firmly in the mix with Matthews and really, you know, he had a lot of good things to say about where he's at with Penn state right now, where the relationships are with Phil Trotwell and James Franklin, those relationships are in a good place. And a lot of, uh, he, he's excited about what Penn state can potentially accomplish this upcoming season. He's looking forward to watching the offensive line. So those are all positives working in Penn state's favor, but it's a battle, man. It's, it's a battle. Now it's going to be a battle for the coming months. It's going to be a battle all the way until it comes time for him to sign. So we're going to have to see how these visits play out for him in September. We're also going to, have to see if, you know, any visits come about in October, November, December, he's going to, I'm sure he's, he has some junior day visits in January on his docket as well, depending on how things play out for him. But right now, the most important thing to know, Jalen Matthews still committed to Penn state, still liking the Nittany lines and still liking the way things are going with his recruitment in that regard. Matthews is considered the number one overall prospect in the state of New Jersey in the composite rankings for 2025. Uh, 24-7 Sports has him as the number 11 offensive tackle nationally, number 115 overall at Tom's River North High School in New Jersey. Of course, Penn State's uh, offensive line coach before he went off and won a couple national championships with the Florida Gators. He was once a, a South Jersey offensive lineman, so this isn't too far out of his wheelhouse, but you've got some tangible you know, evidence here of what this recruitment is going to look like because you've had the conversation with Matthews, you had the conversation with those who are close around him and really plugged into where this recruitment process could go in the next year and a half. 
you've talked about it being a battle for months now. What's on the table? What kind of a battle and, and who are the players? So right now, I think the vibe I got was that Georgia is probably Penn State's main competition when it comes to pushing Matthews for a commitment. But you also have to keep in mind, you know, Georgia being one of the many programs who on the national landscape, they recruit all over the place. That 2025 offensive line board still has to come together for them, right? Matthews is definitely an elite prospect. There is no doubt about that. But, you know, Georgia has plenty of elite offensive line prospects in its own backyard as well. So where does that leave Matthews at the end of the day? That's a question that needs to be answered. But again, I think if Georgia continues to push the way that it has been pushing with defensive backs coach Fran Brown, who does a lot of work in South Jersey on the recruiting trail, I think if that continues and Georgia continues at that rate, the Bulldogs are going to continue to be firmly in the mix for him. Probably, you know, like I said, right now, Penn State's probably the main competitor. Alabama is interesting. I think the way Alabama does things and, you know, the way Nick Saban runs his program, I think that's something that appeals to the Matthews camp. They're big on discipline, doing the right thing, you know, attention to detail. And that's something that is very big about the Alabama program that we all know in Georgia as well, Kirby Smart being there. But it seems like, you know, the Matthews camp, and those are familiar with him. They like what Alabama has been saying. And they had a lot of good things to say about Penn State as well. I don't want that to fly under the radar. You know, it seems like the main talking point with Matthews for a while has been, oh, who else is involved? Who are the other schools going after him the hardest? But Penn State has remained very diligent in his in its efforts as well. It has continued to recruit Matthews as hard as it did before he was committed. And he was recently, he had a FaceTime call with Coach Trotway and Coach Franklin. And he was telling me that call went really well. Yeah, you know, just continue. The message has been consistent from Penn State. And I think that's something that is very important to Matthews. You know, there hasn't been any sort of deviant from the plan that the Penn State has for him and how he has been treated by the Penn State staff. One of the big factors in Matthews' recruitment is going to a place where he really does feel the love from the staff and he feels that he is appreciated as a person, not just a football player, but as a person off the field and in the locker room and everywhere around campus. And he gets that feeling at Penn State. And Troutwain is very responsible for that. Those two have a really good relationship. And Franklin has played a very big part in it as well. So Penn State has continued to do the right things with Matthews. It's just a matter of him getting out on the road and checking out these other programs that have been pushing hard and deciding, hey, is Penn State the place I want to be or do I want to be in the SEC or possibly another conference? It seems like the SEC alone in itself draws some intrigue from Matthews, but there are programs elsewhere pushing as well but there are many people close to Matthews who feel that Penn State's a good fit for him and that speaks to the way that Penn State has recruited Matthews and what they have prioritized when recruiting him and making him feel at home in Happy Valley that family feeling that Matthews got when he committed shortly after that junior day visit that he had in January he still feels that to this day and I think that's a very important aspect of his recruitment that kind of tends to fly under the radar talking about the person not the player here Considering the circumstances in play right now, I think it's difficult to label this a hard commitment, but he's still phrasing it. He's still saying it's a commitment. He's still getting back to campus maybe twice in September. Um, and, and the crowd around you here that you have to worry about are the two-time defending national champions and the program that has, you know, for the last couple of decades or decade and a half has, has largely ruled college football. So it's good company to have hanging around you. It certainly validates what we heard about Jalen Matthews at an early age and and why he is a, a, a top-tier offensive tackle in, in 24-7 sports rankings. And this is coming off of a class, of course, in 2023, where we saw Phil Troutwine handle his business in a strong way. Four blue-chip talents, two of them currently working at the tackle position in Jim Diono, um, and, 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 of course, Javen Williams. And, and then you saw Alex Birchmeyer getting time at tackle in the spring. Uh, and, and then this upcoming class, we, we saw them in person, in the 2020, these 2024 guys, at camp in July, they've got a lot of tackle potential in that group too. Some long, lean bodies. Matthew's a bit more filled out. I think we've got him at 290 pounds, but appreciate your reporting from New Jersey. Uh, I, know, I know you're always happy to get it done in the Garden State when you can on the Penn State recruiting trail. Um, let, let's really quickly set the stage for what's happening in the 2025 class. There's only three guys on board right now. Matthews is the headliner, but he's not the only uh, top 24-7 prospect. Uh, Keandre Barker, uh, running back out of the Woodlands in Texas, is number 225 in our national rankings. He's the number 20 running back recruit, 5'11", 183 pounds. So we're talking about a running back with some considerable size heading into his junior season. And then the third member of this class, 
Omari Gaines at Malcolm X Shabazz in Newark, New Jersey, a long limbed defensive back. Does he stick at the safety position long term? Is he a guy that, that's going to have to eventually grow up and maybe be that Sam linebacker? Uh, a lot left undetermined, I think, coming out of camp season when we got some eyes on him. Really curious to see what the junior season footage looks like. But that's the trio on board right now. Before we start talking about targets and what's happening in state, what do you make of this collective group right now? I mean, it's a pretty solid trio, all things considered. We touched on Matthews and the Cavalier prospect he is. I mean, after seeing him yesterday, his ranking is definitely justified, and it's where he needs to be in the rankings. And the big thing that stood out to me with Matthews in terms of where he's at in his development, it, it was tough yesterday to take away the jump that he's made from sophomore season to junior season just based on the competition that he was going against. Tons of North is a Group 5 program in New Jersey. Matawan, the team that they scrimmage, is a Group 3 program. So – Quite frankly, they just didn't really have the guys who could really push Matthews and give him a true challenge. But his body, he's a lot more put together than what he was. The first time we saw him, he camped at Penn State. I believe it was last summer was the first time we saw him. He's definitely transformed his body a little bit. He's put on more muscle, so that's a positive. And really technique-wise, he's solid. His kick step's gotten really good, which was something that we noted probably needed to improve at the time that he committed. And he, he's really – he's definitely a work in progress, and he's trending up, man. His, uh, his potential is evident. It's easy to see. Keandre Barker in the backfield. Can't really ask for much better start to the cycle than landing. Go out and landing Barker. I know he's from Texas, and that's probably going to be another recruitment with other schools continuing to push. You know, regional programs are going to get involved. He got an offer from Oregon recently. So, you know, that's going to be one that other programs probably don't let off the gas when it comes to trying to get Barker. But – lifelong not lifelong but he's had his eye on Penn State for a really long time it's pedigree with running backs he's a big Saquon Barkley guy then he likes Jaywan Sider a lot and that was really one of the driving forces behind his commitment in the first place so he's a dynamic back Penn State's gonna look to pair him with another dynamic back in its 25 class so that's a good start. And then Gaines, as you mentioned, yo, it's kind of a to-be-determined when it comes to what exactly his future is positionally because he does have that long, lanky frame at safety, but I think he can grow in to that Sam Backer role. Frankly, I actually think that's what is going to wind up happening with him at the end of the day. But he's got the athleticism and at least measurably, you know, with that length and that wingspan, he's definitely a player who can make an impact at the next level. So it's a good trio to start. You know, we're still early. The cycle is taking more of a, a focus now, mainly because Penn State, a lot of Penn State's 2024 class is wrapped up. So that affords the staff the opportunity to focus even more on 2025. So it's starting to come under the limelight a little bit more now. And you're at three, which is already a better place than you were in 2024, considering how long Cooper Cousins was alone in that 2024 class. So Penn State already has a little bit more momentum when it comes to getting commitments on board early. And they put themselves in a pretty good spot with a lot of their top 20, 25 targets early. That was something that we touched on coming out of Lash Bash with a lot of the guys who made it. They have Penn, a lot of them have Penn State high on their list. And it's going to be interesting to see where exactly the Nittany Lions stand with those guys coming out of their junior seasons. And also, you know, who stays high on the board throughout their junior season and who maybe tails off a little bit. Because, yeah, there are a lot of offers out, and there have been a lot of evaluations made by the staff. But game film is game film. Once the pads go on, it's a different story. You'll see some guys rise. You'll see some guys fall. That's how it plays out every single cycle. So that's another element that we're going to have to keep an eye on. But when it comes to the current state of the Penn State 2025 recruiting class, can't really complain. I think it's in a solid spot. Yeah, you, you know, those some of those underclassmen offers start to ring hollow a little bit when you get into junior and senior seasons. And, and I'm, I'm checking the what we have that, that in our database right now. Yeah, 250 plus offers to this point out from Penn State. There's not 250 plus takes right now for Penn State in this class. A lot of those offers went out to, to freshmen, to rising sophomores, different points of the underclassmen process, junior season. Pretty much anybody will tell you this is the most important season of a recruitment process in determining where exactly you're going to be on boards and, and, and how you're going to be viewed in that pecking order as, as, as teams start to put together their tiers at each position. Uh, we're going to get into some of those 2025 guys right now. Um, and, and you mentioned there's a to-be-determined nature uh, with the process in Omari Gaines. There's also a to-be-determined part of, of the equation with Brady O'Hara. Um, out of Pittsburgh. This is a player that, that we've seen in person in camp not too long ago. And that's where the most recent crystal ball pick from Brian Doan headed in the direction of 
Brady O'Hara to Penn State. Talk us through the confidence you're hearing about this. What's next? Uh, what the next step is between those two parties and position wise, what are we looking at with Brady O'Hara? There's a lot of confidence, frankly. I'm Penn State at this point is O'Hara is it's his clear leader. Uh, the Nenny Lions are on top and the rest of the field is trailing. Positionally, you know, that's something that is still being figured out. He's done a lot of work at tight end on the camp circuit. I mean, heck, he camped for tight ends coach Ty Howell in June. Those two put in a lot of work throughout the day. But O'Hara, you got to keep in mind, he plays defensive end for North Catholic up in Pittsburgh, and he was a standout on the defensive side of the ball for that program as a sophomore. And, you know, you also have to keep in mind as well, we've seen situations where bigger tight end prospects Sometimes they become offensive tackle prospects, you know, just given their athleticism and their blocking ability. So I think these are things that are all being worked through when it comes to the evaluation of O'Hara and where exactly he fits at the next level. But the fact of the matter is that the Penn State staff is prepared to welcome him on board if he wants to get on board and they will figure out the position stuff as time goes on. That will be an ongoing process really as junior season film rolls in. And I think at this point, with O'Hara gearing up to make his sixth and seventh visit to Penn State in the calendar year alone next month. He's going to be at the season opener against West Virginia. He's locked in for the whiteout at the end of the month as well. It's kind of one of those situations where he's been to campus so many times. He's an in-state kid. At what point does he just decide to get this thing done? Because the writing seems to be on the wall to some degree. And I even said, I believe it was August 4th I wrote it, that I was getting really close to putting in an early crystal ball pick for O'Hara to land with the Nittany Lions. I think at this point, I'm probably even closer based on the feedback that we have been receiving. This is just one that is lining up really well for Penn State. O'Hara has what the Nittany Lions are looking for in terms of skill set, no matter where he plays, and character. They, they like him as a kid as well, and he's really comfortable with multiple members of the staff. Feels like he's been to campus so many times at this point. Yeah. He knows pretty much everyone now, and he seems to have a comfort with everyone from my conversations with him. So, again, just one of those things where it's hard to envision a scenario where this one doesn't wind up going in Penn State's favor at some point during the process. Maybe it comes sooner, maybe it comes later, but with the way things are right now and the intel that we've been receiving really throughout the summer – O'Hara and Penn State, it just seems like one of those situations that will play out in favor of the Nittany Mines when it's all said and done. Yeah, it might just turn out to be an upset if you were to make it to yes. October on committed, right? I mean, if you were to, to last through September. We're talking about another top 24-7 talent here in Brady O'Hara. He's number 204 overall nationally out of North Catholic High School in Pittsburgh. Number 11 athlete. He is designated that athlete in 24-7 sports rankings, the number five player in Pennsylvania. And let's keep the focus. By the way, size, that checks out with Brady O'Hara. 6'5", oh, 6'6", yeah. range, 230-plus pounds already halfway through high school. He's going to be just fine in making that part of the transition to Power 5 football. But let's keep the focus here on home turf for the Nittany Lions. And uh, they have handled their business quite well in recent cycles. How is it shaping up in 2025? You and I came on here after a camp season and praised what this class can be in Pennsylvania for the 2025 group. And you had a piece a couple of days ago, an early look about where the Nittany Lions stand with many of these guys. Let's talk through it. And really, it's just we've talked about this 2025 group being a good one for Pennsylvania. And 2026 as well, which we'll get into in a little bit. But 2025, just almost, you know, one of those groups that is has the potential to – you could shape your whole recruiting class around that group. That's how good and how talented and how deep of a group it is in state. I mean, you start at the top with Zaheer Mathis. I know you just talked about camp season. He's not one of the guys that we saw during camp season. He wasn't at Penn State for that. But he's the top-ranked player in Pennsylvania. He's a top 100 prospect on 24-7 sports. And it's – very understandable why he's an elite edge rush prospect. The goal is to get him back on campus at some point this fall, and it seems like it's going to happen. The, what Penn State has working in its favor with Mathis when it comes to getting him back on campus is Imhotep plays on Friday nights, and his Saturdays are kind of free. So in the event that he wants to visit for the season opener against West Virginia or for the whiteout game against Iowa, the door for that to happen is over – or open, excuse me – 
But really, it comes down to you know him actually making it to campus from Philly, and that's something that we're gonna have to monitor. But it, it's a goal, hey, Tyler. Tyler, it's it's one of those situations we used to just call it. You know, there's always a ticket for the guy at the will call. Yeah, it's okay. one of those guys. If he wants to show up to campus for a game, there'll be two. There'll be a few tickets waiting at will call for him and his parents or him oh, and yeah. whoever made the trip with him. Don't worry about it. It's there for you. Don't you don't have to tell us if you're coming. But if you make the trip, your tickets are there. And that's how it goes with Imitep guys, the top Imitep guys a lot of the time. So Mathis is definitely in that boat. And then you move on to another Philly powerhouse program, St. Joe's Prep. They have guys who are high on the Penn State board. Cam Smith at linebacker, Anthony Saka at linebacker, Max Roy on the defensive line. Three guys Penn State really, really likes. And guys they're going after hard, three guys who have legitimate interest in the Nittany line. Specifically, Cam Smith is the one standing out to me out of that trio. Now, this is going to be his first season at St. Joe's Prep, so he's not a true Philly kid. He's a South Jersey guy, but that's not going to have any sort of bearing on the way this one plays out. It's looking like Penn State, Michigan for him based on the early feedback, and Penn State probably has an edge over the Wolverines right now, given his familiarity with the program, the relationship with Khalil Ahmad and other members of the staff. The Nittany Lions have that working in their favor. So Cam Smith is another. He's now a new in-state guy that we have to discuss. He was already on the radar at Salem High in South Jersey, but now he's an in-state guy. So that's important. And, I mean, Mike Carroll, the legacy recruit from Central Bucks East, we've talked about him a bunch. You know, he's a guy who has impressed the staff multiple times in the camp setting during the summer. He's feeling like a priority. He's going to be back for the season opener against West Virginia. Nittany Lions like him where they're at there. But, again, Michigan has also made that a very interesting recruitment. Wolverines have come on strong since offering. Josh Williams, a guy you got the chance to talk to yesterday, he's going to be at Penn State's season opener. And – you know, it's pretty clear that he is a Penn State lean at this point in his process. He's still going through things, sorting things out. But there is confidence that, you know, depending on how things play out in terms of how they fare during their junior seasons and where things go, it's definitely possible that Penn State's 2025 interior offensive line haul could be a pair of in-state recruits in Carroll and Williams. I think that's definitely something that's feasible. And really, two guys who are high on the board right now, and based on what we know about them, I think they're going to stay high on the board. I think they have that kind of talent. Once the pads go on, I think it's going to translate from a camp setting to on the field. So that's just, you know, really a few of the in-state guys standing out. There are so many, man. Charlandon Strange from Cheltenham's another one. He's a top 24-7 edge rusher. Penn State's going to look to get him back on campus in the fall. Just It's a deep class in Pennsylvania. Khalil Stewart, he's over at St. Joe's Prep now in Philly. He's another one part of that group. He started at Roman Catholic. Now he is at St. Joe's, and he likes the Nittany Lions. That has the feeling of one of those recruitments. If Penn State pushes and ramps things up, they could have him. Deshaun Burnett, the four-star linebacker in Pittsburgh, he's high on Penn State. So it really goes on and on with Penn State being in a good spot early with a lot of the in-state guys. But, again, processes have to play out. But it's a It's a deep group in PA this year. And again, one of those groups that you could really build the foundation of your class around. You may have seen my reaction at one point. You, you mentioned how well they're situated with, with Josh Williams and Michael Carroll. Maybe, maybe you have your interior offensive line class in your backyard, but it's not just that they're in state guys, which you referenced. I mean, it's you guys who grew up watching Nittany Lions games. Exactly. I mean, I, I guess I, I guess I can't necessarily vouch for that all the way with Michael Carroll. I haven't spoken to him with that directly, but his father was a member of this football team. So I'd imagine there, there's a natural affinity towards this program. And, and then I can vouch for what I heard from Josh Williams. And I know what that offer meant to his father and to their family at large. Uh, dad is a big Penn state fan. And, 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 you know, when dad's a fan, sons become fans and that's kind of how it's worked. But you've heard me tell this story a bunch of times, uh, Tyler, and and I know our podcast listeners have Josh Williams, 4.0 student, student council class president, great head on his shoulders. And the first thing he told me when he got that offer, uh, aside from how excited he was about Penn state wanting him was I can't let myself dive into this head first and say, I'm I'm shutting it down because his recruitment process just started. And now he's got offers coast to coast that have come up and, Penn State is in the driver's seat, I think, just the way this whole process is situated with him personally. This will be his first chance to get to Beaver Stadium as a recruit. He's been there as a fan. His family's been there as a fan. Now, imagine what it's going to be like for dad. And oh, you saw man. how dad you saw how dad oh, reacted man. to James Franklin, you know, looking him in the eyes and shaking his hand. And, and imagine how dad's going to react when he gets a handshake from James Franklin on the field before the season opener of this highly anticipated season. I know they want to keep, you know, kind of tunnel vision and they want to focus on on the process. But you just wonder with each step that Penn State takes towards saying, hey, we would like you to come join us. How long can Josh Williams and family hold out? So 
really good, well-situated spot with a lot of these guys in 2025. You did a nice job laying the case. But I got to circle back to one name there because I know some of our listeners probably said, well, I haven't heard that one in a while. Anthony Saka. Yeah. Not only is he a, a Penn State legacy himself, um, but you know, he's at that St. Joe's prep school that's always loaded. He is at the linebacker position. He is a top 24-7 prospect. He's the number 23 overall uh, prospect nationally at the position, listed six foot three, 225 pounds as a rising senior. Again, dad played quarterback for the Nittany Lions, but I didn't. we didn't see him pop up at camp this summer either. So what are you hearing or what are you kind of learning about where Penn State might stand with Anthony Saka? We didn't see him in the camp circuit this summer. That was kind of designed. And I think a lot of the conversation, because there's been a lot of talk, you know, he hasn't been on campus recently. What's going on there? Where's his level of interest at? Is it still as high as we thought it might be originally when he was frequently visiting campus? Because he was on campus frequently last summer. I mean, plenty of times he made right. it. But you got to keep in mind, that's kind of the only place he was visiting last summer. He, his plan this summer was to more so get out and see some of the schools that he hadn't had the chance to check out. Ohio State was one of them, the Michigans of the world, the Notre Dames of the world. That was more of the focus for Anthony Saka this summer. I got the chance to catch up with him earlier this month. and It's looking like he is going to be back on campus for a game at some point this fall. So this is definitely a recruitment where Penn State has not fallen off in the sites. They're still very much on his radar. You know, really this summer was just about him exploring the depths of his recruitment. It was kind of like that for his teammate, Maxwell Roy as well. The guy who had visited Penn state multiple times before didn't return in the summer, but mainly because he wanted to see other programs that he hadn't had access to previously. But with soccer, Penn state's still right there. Ohio state has made a pretty good impression. Michigan's right there. Notre Dame is right there. So it's going to be a fight between those three or four depending on how things play out. But Penn State's going to be one of those ones that is there until the end. Okay. Well, I, I think it's good that you laid some stuff out there. You explained where it is, interested in coming back, all that stuff, because I think there's just been a, it's been a little too quiet mm -hmm. for some fans out there when it comes to a top 24-7 linebacker with that kind of a connection to the program who is playing high school football here in the state of Pennsylvania. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And speaking of the state here, we got a few other in-state guys to look at because they were featured in the top 24. It's not top 24-7 yet. It's a top 100 for the 2026 class. That's where we start with our rankings at 24-7 sports, mm -hmm. working up to that top 24-7 and then eventually beyond where we rank hundreds and beyond thousand players uh, across the country. But right now, 100 guys were in the spotlight on Wednesday when that list dropped from 24-7 sports. Three of them are from the state of Pennsylvania. You wrote about this trio uh, led by uh, Messiah Mickens, who's at number 30 overall running back prospect from Camp Hill uh, Trinity High School. Uh, they got Tyler Merrill uh, on this list at number 54 overall. Um, we got a chance to see him at camp, an interior offensive line prospect, and then an offensive tackle prospect uh, that we had a chance to see at camp as well. Kevin Brown from Harrisburg High School. Uh, we raved about what we saw from him. Uh, very different than Merrill. He's probably about 40, 50 pounds lighter than Merrill right now. Um, these are different offensive line prospects, but both of them inside the top 100. And again, Minkins leading the charge. And here we go again with a very talented fringe five-star running back talent in the state of Pennsylvania for the Dittany Lions to charge after. Yeah, so before we get into these three, I feel like I got to give you some credit so our, our listeners know what was going on for these rankings drop. I thought you were going to give yourself a pat on the back, but I'll, I'll be the one to do it. So I oh, asked Tyler to guess where Mickens and Kevin Brown were going to be ranked because we had already discussed where Merrill was going to be ranked, so he was off the board in terms of guessing. Then I asked him where he thought Mickens and Brown were going to be, and he was within three spots of each. So – Credit to Tyler for that one. Mickens checking in at 30. He guessed 33. Brown at 92. He guessed 89. So credit to you. I man. just got I just got a good feel for what our rankings council <laughs> does, man. I mean, and I think we all I think we, you and I and Daniel and Mark got a good feel for who these guys are oh, yeah. as prospects this summer. I mean, they showed up and 
and, and you don't just hand these things out. I think anyone who hears Brian Doan on the, on this show, you understand how detailed his approach is, and that applies to our entire national network. And the stuff that you hear Brian Doan say critically about recruits sometimes on this show, imagine what he might say on a conference call when they're debating rankings. It is a very fine-tooth comb kind of process to get to these 100 names. By the way, I have at least a couple more to talk about in 2026 class for Pennsylvania. But, but go on with that list. My, my back feels nice and padded. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. I mean, Mickens is just really – we identified him. Well, not identified. It's not like we discovered the kid. But, <laughs> I, mean, no, I, I mean, he only had like 20 offers. So. <laughs> we, we, like the first time we saw him, we just knew he was a different kind of kid. Like he, he was built well for a rising sophomore. He moves so well. I mean, you would think that he is an elite upperclassman at this point in his development. That's kind of where he's at physically and skill set wise. So another in-state guy, like you said, who's teetering on being a five-star prospect. I think he's got it in him when it's all said and done. You know, he, he's he's right there right now. You know, if it was going to end today and with the way we do things here at 24-7, for those who might not be familiar, it's 32 five-star recruits representing the 32 first-round picks of the NFL draft. And Messiah Nickens would be in that territory if 2026 rankings were being finalized today. Now, obviously, he's got a lot of high school football left to play, but I don't see him falling off in the slightest. He, he's one of those dudes who he stays high in the rankings throughout his recruitment. He's just one of those guys who gets it done every Friday night. He's delivering out of the backfield, runs tough, fast, agile. He's, he's got pretty much everything that you're looking for in a running back recruit. And, it's good for Penn State because he's really high on the Nittany lines, and he's been another guy who has visited frequently and has given Penn State and its staff a lot of his early attention. So that one's shaping up pretty well for Penn State. Kevin Brown in Harrisburg. I mean, you can't say enough about what he was able can we, can to Can we go talk. back to Mickens yeah. real quick? I, I know we want to talk Brown, but uh, just to remind people, the, the head coach at Trinity where Mickens is, is now the, you know, the shining star is Jordan Hill who has a very good relationship with Penn State following his playing career. We saw him back on, uh, at camp when Messiah Mickens was competing. And if I could just share this about Mickens, I thought probably outside of Quentin Martin, he was the most complete put-together physically running back recruit that we saw in terms of the speed, blending with the strength, blending with the, you know, basically the entire package of what you're looking for just on the eyeball test as these guys were moving around. And then was able to really kind of post up with this running back group. It was uh, him and Corey Smith, a few other promising prospects, guys that didn't have Penn State offers, but that will have Power 5 and FBS offers. And he was the one who was digesting Sider's coaching and working his way to the front of the line. Initially, it was Corey Smith who was a commit and a year older. You'd imagine he'd be the guy leading the way. But Sider was putting these guys through some advanced technique, and Corey Smith had to step aside at a couple different points or had some false uh, stop-and-start moments. And ultimately, Mickens worked his way to the front, and he didn't leave that front of the pack for the remainder of camp. Now, I thought Corey Smith really put it together when they started just relying on instincts, playing some cat and mouse, getting involved. You saw why he's a blue-chip running back. But I just felt like consistency from across the day and everything they throw at the running back's uh, direction in these camp settings. And, and J1 Sider does test these guys in different ways. I thought it was him and Quinton Martin were the most impressive that we saw over the course of June and July. Yeah, I'm with you on that. You know, we tend to talk about some prospects being advanced early in their recruitment. Mickens is one of those guys who is advanced and it's not just physically. He knows the game really well. You could, I mean, you see it on film with his vision, just the way he puts his football, the IQ, and you use out of the backfield. And you saw it in the camp setting. You know, he processes things very well. Nothing ever seems to be too fast or too quick for him. He's always on the ball. So, yeah, I mean, he's, just, he's one of those guys who has that it factor to him. You know, he, he's put together, and he's going to be an elite, elite prospect throughout his high school career. And then just, you know. And yet, and, and, and yet I feel – that the guy that's still the number one potential NFL draft prospect oh, out of this 2026 class, all due respect to Messiah Mickens, but among eyes that uh, among guys that we got eyes on this summer, still lean toward Kevin Brown. And now I'll let you talk about the Harrisburg tackle. No, I, I completely understand why. I mean, just look at how his physical makeup has already come together. He's in that 6'4, 240 range, but he is a really good 6'4. He's got a lot of muscle to him. And he's just got one of those frames where it looks like he's going to continue adding weight. And the weight that he puts on is going to continue being really good weight. He's really athletic as a tackle. He's, he's got the power five bloodlines with his father playing at West Virginia. So that's there. Kevin Brown is one of those prospects that Penn State is going to have very, very high on his 26, 2026 board 
for the duration of the cycle. Mickens is in that territory. So is Brown. And he's just, he's up there, man. Maybe there's a lot of excitement in state college ball. Kevin Brown could bring as a power five offensive tackle. And he's going to be prioritized as such throughout his recruitment. So another guy, Penn State, would love to get him back on campus during the fall. That's one of those things, kind of a foregone conclusion that will happen at some point. It just needs to get scheduled. But Brown, when it comes to the tackle prospects in 26 with that board, obviously still in its infant stages, he's standing atop the list. Yeah, and, and he's he's yeah, he mentioned six four. I think he's really six five more more at that point. Or if he's not there, he's gonna be there in the next couple of months. And two forty plus right now. He I, he played at sub two thirty last year, and he earned all state recognition as a freshman, uh, starting for a team that reached the state championship game at Harrisburg. So that's a hell of a start for Kevin Brown. And now he's adding that weight. You mentioned he's able to do a lot of technique work at home, have those kind of conversations with his father who played professionally and played at West Virginia at the offensive tackle position. Um, so really curious to see where it heads for Kevin Brown, not just between now and signing day, but between now and really the next 15, 20 years, because that's the kind of football prospect I think we're talking about at the tackle position. And these are the kind of origins of some of these great tackles. They only weigh 230 pounds sometimes when they're high school sophomores. And then sometimes they show up looking like Tyler Merrill who's 310 pounds. I said there was maybe a 40, 50 pound difference between Brown and Merrill and trying to you know, say how these are, these are very different prospects. Well, Merrill also listed six foot five, but he's listed 310 pounds compared to Brown's 240. He's about 35 spots ahead of Brown in the top 24 or in the top 100 rankings here. He's at number 54 overall, number two player in Pennsylvania, the number two interior offensive lineman overall. And I didn't come away as high on Merrill long-term as I did with Brown, but I certainly came away understanding why he looks like a guy that you say, bring him to campus and he probably can push for a role with you in a power five team. He could probably show up to campus in, in 2025 and, and, and do that. Yeah, I think he definitely can. And six, five, three, ten already. I mean, he's, he, for him, it's really, he's just got to learn how to put his body to use. You know, we saw him in a camp setting and, that's probably not one of the things where he's going to shine through like a guy like Kevin Brown in terms of offensive line, but he, he, he's a mauler, you know, he pushes mm -hmm. people around. He's got that strength to him. So he, his recruitment, he's been, we talk about Brown being a topping tackle prospect. He's going to be one of those guys who is a top prospect for Penn state on the interior. And, and, and he's a guy that, that's got plenty of those offers as well. A bunch of Big Ten suitors already in the mix. And just remember, three more years of high school football ahead. So so guys who are not on this list, just a couple that I wrote down here before we came on air because I wanted to mention them. Another St. Joe's prep guy, as if we didn't list enough blue chip talent on their defense uh, for the 2025 class. They've got Alexander Haskell uh, coming up as a sophomore, a guy who, who worked his butt off at a couple Penn State camps, was one of the more impressive and improving defensive line prospects we saw this summer. Picked up a Penn State offer along the way. He's going to have a wave of Power Five suitors, I think, by the time his sophomore season gets finished. And then Elias Koch, going back to Harrisburg High School, where we're going to be keeping tabs on Kevin Brown. He's also in that 2026 class. Uh, made a splash last season as a freshman as well, playing safety, playing receiver. We saw him step up as arguably the MVP of the seven-on-seven -seven tournament uh, that Penn State hosted in late June. Three touchdowns in the semifinal. He went home with an offer. We have some questions about where his straight line speed is right now, and we also wonder if he's going to be a safety or a wide receiver long term. But just a couple more names to know that I think we can vouch for as guys who got it done on the field when we got eyes on them here in Happy Valley. Yeah, no, this is another deep class. 2025 is deep and 2026 is going to be deep as well, and it goes beyond just the three who were included in that top 100. You know, Coke's offer list is impressive. I believe, I believe it's either at 20 or one away. From hitting one away yeah he had 19 now so and that's going to keep growing i mean i think uh i think pensa would like to see him probably improve the testing numbers a little bit and really it, it comes down to where exactly he's going to be at the next level you know it's something that we have discussed is he a guy who outgrows wide receiver and has to move to tight end or is he stay where he's at size wise and remain on outside wide receiver and just look to add speed there are elements to that recruitment that i think are going to be pretty interesting to keep an eye on moving forward I mean, another 26 is uh, Jesse Moody, the big offensive tackle. You know, he he can't yeah. for Penn State. Man, he, he's really good. He, he's going to be a really good prospect, and his, his offer list is going to reflect that. So there's a lot going on in that 26 group. I mean, it, we're kind of just at the tip of the iceberg with those three who are ranked in the top 100, right? That, that's kind of just – those are the headliners, but if that's not all the 2026 class in Pennsylvania has to offer. It's going to be one of those groups that, again, 
you can build your 2025 recruiting class around in-state prospects, 2026, you're going to be able to go out and do the same exact thing. That's how talented a group James Franklin and his staff have in their own backyard. And if there's young listeners out there playing high school football and, and freaking out because we're talking about 2026 guys and you're maybe not on that radar and what am I doing wrong? You've got time. The body's changing a big way between, between age 15 and age 18. And as I said, junior season is a huge one. Sophomore can really be a springboard for you. But if you're listening and you're a freshman and a sophomore, you don't have a bunch of power five offers. It's okay. You should be trying to assert yourself this season, get your name out there. Uh, but, but do not be going to that panic button. It's just the nature of college football right now. Early identification happens and the power five offers start swarming towards you. And you go from two offers to 20 offers in, in a matter of weeks, even though 90% of those coaching staffs haven't actually seen you in person. That's just how it happens right now in college football. Any general takeaways just from within the region, from, from beyond the region uh, in this top 100 overall and, and where Penn State is in the grand scheme of things? Um, you know, Virginia is looking really, really good in that 26 class so far. They have a couple guys, I believe, in the top 30. Actually, it might be that's top. always good for Penn State. I mean, yeah, Penn I mean, State's recruited Virginia as well as anybody, and probably better than anybody, including Virginia and Virginia Tech, over the past four, five, six years. Yeah, so it's Dajer Carter at wide receiver and Savion Hyder at running back. And they go, those two are their teammates at Woodbury Forest, and they are ranked very, very highly. And both have expressed a pretty strong interest in Penn State. They visited earlier this offseason, and they have discussed playing together at the next level as well. And Penn State gives them the opportunity to do that. Two guys at Stanford love to get back on campus at some point. Savion Hyder, man, he's elite. He's, we talk about Messiah Mickens. He's one of the few running backs who was actually ranked ahead of Messiah Mickens. And I think given what we've been saying about Mickens on this podcast and his skill set, I think that should be an indication of how good of a prospect Savion Hyder is. I think he's, he's definitely another one of those guys who will be talking about the next level for a really long time. So again, regionally, it's another fertile recruiting ground for Penn state. You know, when you could go out and not have to venture that far to land the bevy of elite talent in the region. I mean, it goes beyond Virginia too. You know, Virginia is a state that Penn State has traditionally recruited well. We know that. You had Marcus Higgins into the mix. You might be able to recruit even better now with him teaming up with Jay Wan Sider to go after the top prospects in that state. But in, in North Carolina as well, you have Kendra Harrison, who is the top tight end in the nation at this point. And he's going to be on camp. Brian Doan flagged him down, and he's going to be on campus for the whiteout game next month, and that's going to be a big visit. So the Carolinas, the Virginias, it, again, it's just Penn State has a lot of places to turn regionally and just a little bit outside of its region as well with the Carolinas. So it, it's another really good class for Penn State to pick from. And something that's always in the toolbox for Penn State uh, regionally here, you look across the Northeast, you look across the Mid-Atlantic and where the strength of Power 5 football is, where the game day atmospheres are, and there's such a separation between Penn State and pretty much anybody else right now. Uh, and it feels even more notable here in 2023 with the team starting at number seven nationally and so much excitement brewing. And so it's no surprise to see a bunch of the guys that we just mentioned and many more starting to book their tickets to Penn State games, uh, starting off with the September 2nd kickoff against West Virginia, primetime matchup on NBC. People want to be in those seats. Same deal with the whiteout game. You just mentioned blue chip prospects already looking toward that. Let's start with, with a player that you just spoke with uh, during your uh, your trip to that scrimmage yesterday. Jalen Matthews wasn't the only offensive lineman with a Penn State uh, scholarship offer that you spoke with. Big Jaden Elijah out of Matawan Regional. We have him at six foot seven, 290 pounds. Did he look that big when you stood side, uh, side to side? And, and by the way, Nebraska, Texas A&M, Michigan State, Florida State among schools already on that offer list for Elijah. Well, the real indication would be when Jaden and Jalen Matthews got the chance to take a picture at the end of the scrimmage, and Jaden was taller than Jalen Matthews. So I think that speaks to the, uh, the height listing. Yeah, he's a legit 6'6 six, six and a half, 6'7. I don't know what the exact number is. We're going to have to flag that down, but his size is legit. The thing with Jaden Elijah, and he's going to be, like you said, on campus for the, uh, for the home opener against West Virginia. That's going to be his first time being at the Penn State. This whole recruiting thing, it's still really new to him. You know, he's got a basketball background. He averaged 13 and 12 for Madawan as a sophomore. And that's kind of where he was more focused until recently once the football offers started rolling in for him. So he's still kind of trying to feel everything out, get to know the schools that are involved and have offered him. Penn State right now is standing out to him. And he, he mentioned something to me that's pretty interesting. That he's not necessarily looking to go far away from home. 
he likes to stay a little bit closer to home, but he doesn't want to stay in New Jersey. So when you look geographically at the programs that have offered him, Penn State is one of those programs that kind of gives him the chance to do exactly what he said, leave home and get a little bit further away, but still be relatively close to his home in Madawan and not too far away from Jersey. So that's something that he is looking for. And, you know, it's still, like he needs to be molded, right? This is a kid with a basketball background. There's a lot that he still needs to improve upon. You know, his uh, his technique needs some work. His conditioning needs some work. But that's fine because he's still new to the game, and he's still developing as an offensive lineman. Another thing, when I mentioned his conditioning, I mean, he's going both ways on the defensive line as well. Yesterday was a really hot day, so I think that's something that, you know, you have to get used to, and that's something Jaden Elijah is working on. But his size, man, it's legit. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see where his development takes him because Phil Charwin's in frequent contact with him. They're talking regularly. So that kind of speaks to his early placement on the 2025 board. What does that look like once the pads go on and things get physical? He held his own physical yesterday against a group five program. That's for sure. So that's definitely encouraging. Uh, we appreciate the report on that. There's a story uh, on Elijah up at Lions 24-7, along with a, a feature up here Thursday, Tyler, that you put together, an early look toward the season opener and what that guest list is going to look like. Obviously, day by day, that one's going to grow as we get toward that game week. It's a September 2nd game. It's August 17th right now. But some of these confirmations have been notable. Our VIP subscribers are already in the loop. They'll continue to be in the loop every step of the way with the progress being made on that list. But Initially, right now, for our listeners, what stands out to you? You know, this it's going to be another situation, just kind of like last year's home opener, where there's a very strong regional presence at Penn State's opener. You know, it's another opportunity for Penn State to get the top guys from the region on campus, and that is what is going to happen. I mean, we're up over a dozen confirms, mostly. I, I believe 12 of the 13 are regional prospects. The only one who's out of the region is TJ Alford, the top 100 linebacker down in Florida, and that's just the home opener. I know mean, the whiteout's going to have a very strong regional presence, but it's going to have a non-regional presence as well. It's sounding like there are going to be some top prospects from outside of the region making it to the whiteout, which shouldn't really come as much of a surprise to anyone listening. The whiteout at this point is one of Penn State's biggest recruiting events. It's arguably the biggest recruiting event on the calendar for Penn State when it comes to getting so many guys on campus and getting them into that atmosphere and showing them what it's like to, you know, not only attend a whiteout, but for the players on the field, what's like to play in a whiteout, what that whole atmosphere and feeling inside Beaver Stadium is like. So right now, two really impressive visitors lists. They're ever growing. You know, we have trackers for both. So we got confirmations rolling in on a pretty much daily basis, which is always a positive because you love to see which recruits are going to make it and where are they on the board, you know, how many top targets is Penn State getting on campus. Right now, the answer to that is a lot. So these, this this wideout game is going to feature a lot of top targets, and the season opener is going to feature a lot of top targets. So James Franklin and his staff, it's not only are they they're not only busy coaching the preseason number seven team in the nation. They, they, this September is going to be a really busy recruiting month for them as well. Yeah, major opportunities, and also just national showcase games where you're getting into guys' living rooms, getting on TV screens across America because of, of how these games are structured nationally uh, with NBC, CBS carrying these broadcasts. That's a really nice window into a, a major, major recruiting eyes, just you know, whether it's California, Florida, Texas. And we know Penn State's trying to do that national recruiting. That's what the, that's what the college football playoff contenders do on a perennial basis. So uh, 24 commitments, Tyler, in this 2024 recruiting class. That's why we haven't spent as much time talking about it lately. There's not as many loose threads lately to discuss. But there is still one that's kind of our, our regular segment whenever we have you on. What's going on with Jalen Harvey? And he had an announcement last Friday, so there is something going on there. What do our listeners need to know about that announcement, and what do we need to know about what comes next? So, I mean, really, he's going to have a commitment coming within the next month. At least that's the timeline right now. And it's coming down to Penn State, USC, and Maryland. So nothing has changed on that front. It's still the top three that we have been discussing really for a while now. And Penn State has continued to hear good things. USC has heard good things and Maryland has heard good things. So it seems like one of those ones where it's a really tight race down the stretch. Some things are probably being figured out behind the scenes regarding, you know, Harvey getting with his people and discussing what the best fit for him at the next level might be. And this one is looking like it is going to actually be coming to an end relatively soon. So one way or another, we're going to have finally going to have an answer on Jalen Harvey, but I still like where my crystal ball pick is. 
for Harvey to land at Penn State. I still think the Nittany Lions have an edge. Maybe it's a slighter edge than before, but still an edge to get this one done in the end. Want to finish with one more 2024 defensive line topic here? No, of course. All right, mailbag time, and it brings us to the topic of conference realignment in college football. Perhaps you've heard of this subject, Tyler Calvaruso. No, never. uh, (laughs) um, So Stanford looks like they may be left out in the cold. They're they're maybe in the ACC, but whatever happens in the Pac-12 is falling apart. They're not going to be a part of that anymore. Um, So a lot to learn about that program, and that's where a top 24-7 defensive lineman on Penn State's target board for a long time landed. Stanford commit Benedict Ume, and the question is, does conference realignment – Help Penn State's flip chances with Ume, who I'll remind people is the number 25 overall defensive lineman in the class and a top 200 overall prospect by 24-7 sports assessment out of Avon Old Farms in Connecticut. Maybe slightly, but definitely not significantly. You got to keep in mind why exactly Benedict Ume committed to Stanford and what the priority was throughout his recruitment. It was academic. It wasn't Pac-12 competition? <laughs> definitely not <What>? that, man. <laughs> It was it was that Stanford degree, and you know, and I know it's a running joke on the board, but it's it's true the pedigree, and the prestige that comes along with it. That was what ultimately caught Ume's eye and led him to that point to commit to the Cardinals. So I don't really think anything is going to change for him. That seems to be a theme with a lot of the Stanford commits. I actually got the chance to talk to one briefly yesterday, Michael Ford of Towns River North. He's committed to Stanford. He echoed pretty much the same sentiment that Ume has had throughout his recruitment. I didn't pick Stanford just because of football. I picked it because of the degree. And it seems like that rings true in pretty much every Stanford recruitment that pops up. And it applies to Ume as well. So I know that Penn State fans have will definitely like to get Ume on board. He's a really good prospect. But it's going to be tough to get him off Stanford based on the feedback that we've received. Conference realignment or not, Stanford is Stanford, and that's what it has to do with attention primarily throughout his recruitment. I know there was a few questions like this uh, regarding Ume with Stanford's situation being a bit precarious right now on the message board. And, and we had one, which we just read, uh, dropped into our mess- uh, our thread for Crystal Ball, or cheese for Crystal Balls, our thread for the mailbag here uh, at the Lions Pride message board at lions247.com. So if you want to add your question to our mailbag, there's plenty to discuss right now with Penn State football, and, and we're always open for recruiting questions as well. Head over to our message board at lions247.com. All VIP subscribers can submit that it is pinned to the top of our message board uh, right there for you um, so submit it and we'll get to our mailbag uh, as much as we can between now and the remainder of this year Tyler Calvaruso great stuff uh, we covered a lot of ground here and, and looking for toward the future with Penn State they've still got some pieces to take care of here with the 2024 class got to sign all your guys in December and then a bunch of them will be here in January but always fun to look toward the future that's what recruiting is all about and you did a damn good job of it appreciate it man thanks for having me back on all right. Be sure to follow Tyler Calvaruso's coverage, VIP content at lines247.com. 30% off deal uh, ongoing right now at the site for an annual subscription or spend $1 for one month. And this is the month to do it as we make that transition from preseason camp into the regular season. Speaking of preseason camp, on Wednesday night, we dropped our mid-camp depth chart we went at least three deep at every position you'll find four or five deep at some of these positions on on offense and defense it's a free article so everyone can go over to lines247.com and check out our our mid-camp depth chart we'll have another one for you coming out of preseason camp ahead of that West Virginia matchup, but uh, something that we put together uh, with Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon, and myself. A lot more preseason progress reports and coverage coming your way between now and our next episode of the podcast, which will come next Tuesday. And again, if you missed our last episode this past Tuesday, an hour and a half dissecting Penn State's preseason camp, the risers, the movers and shakers on the field thus far through a couple weeks of Nittany Lions practice action. Go check that one out. For now, stepping aside, big thanks to Tyler Calvaruso for all of his recruiting coverage. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.